What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of 68 Shining Moments presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Today, we have none other than Scott Burrell, who threw the pass that led to the shot that put UConn basketball on the map. And now let me welcome on to the field of 68's 68 Shining Moments, uh, our new series uh, here on YouTube. Um, the one and only Scott Burrell, former UConn player, former Chicago Bull. Scott, how you doing, man? Rob, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, so I, I hope I'm not number 68, though. No, no, you're not. You're, okay, I, okay. Just I grew up as a UConn fan, so it's going to be hard to get you in the top two when we have Shabazz and Kemba on the list somewhere, but I guarantee it will be minimum top three. All right. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> so, it. Of course, we're talking about the moment the Tate George shot, um, and I, I just kind of want to um, – First and foremost, I just kind of want to set the stage where, uh, you know, what, what was going on in the game at that point? Where were you mentally? And what do you remember about the, the plays kind of leading up to that? Well, I remember like, we were dominating the game. Um, we we're up by 19. And then we had a little lull in concentration, lack of uh, focus. And little by little, they started chipping away at the lead. And before we knew it, <laughs> they, uh, we knocked the, they knocked the ball out of bounds in the corner. Um, and they had one more chance to, to – to, um, uh, to hit a three, and they did. So with one second left, we got the ball back, which gave us a chance with uh, one second on the clock to, to do something, win or lose a ball game, and uh, it ended up working out in our favor. So you got to go the length of the court there, right? I'm curious, how many times in practice, one, did you work on that play, and two, did it actually work the way that it worked in the game? Well, if it depends on who you ask. If you ask Smitty, Smitty's going to say, it was supposed to go to me. If you ask Tate, it's supposed to go to him. Um, and I would say we worked on it probably – we probably did it once every, every at the end of practice. So we worked on it a lot. But it's a lot easier to do it when, you know, when you know who's on you, who you're playing against and how they're, how they're going to defend you. But once you're in a game and you don't know who's going to guard the ball, you don't know how they're going to defend it, it makes a big difference. So you, you kind of – you knew exactly what it was. Like, you didn't even did, – did Coach Calhoun have to draw up that play in the, yeah, in the he, huddle or was it just kind of like, okay, we're going to run this now. We know what we're doing. No, he had to draw something up. Uh, he drew it up a little bit because, you know, different guys were in the ball game. I think so. Um, but we wanted, obviously, two scores, be a half court, go down to try to get the ball around the half court uh, line and, and maybe get a shot up. But Tate did a great job of, of walling off uh, Sean Tyson off in the corner. And he gave me a left hand like it was a, a corner pattern, uh, like a quarterback throw a corner pattern. And uh, I was able to – I was in Campbell's guarding my left side. So I couldn't see anything on the left side. So Smitty was out of the play. And uh, I figured if I get it, as far as close to the rim, it's up to Tate to, to finish the job. So I don't know how many people know this, but you grew up as a, as a football player and a baseball player as well. What's the difference when it comes to throwing a football and throwing a basketball 94 feet? That definitely was a football pass. A, a baseball pass would have been more like when Leitner hit, hit the shot against Kentucky, where you have the direct line pass to the foul line and he, he had to make a little pivot to that shot. That was more of a baseball pass. Football pass, I had to go to the corner pattern for corner of the end zone for a touchdown. <laughs> um all right so when you're when you're kind of in the huddle bringing that that the play up and making it happen and, and drawing it up what is what is coach saying to you what's coach calhoun telling you um and and do you like did you actually think you were going to be able to pull this thing off or were you like oh man this game's gone or were you like all right this is what we got to do to be able to win i think the whole team was like we had a dream season unbelievable year we came from nowhere nowhere uh ended up winning the beast and we, we, we lost it. We, we ruined our season by falling asleep and losing focus and, uh, and losing concentration. But, you know, it was one second left. We listened to what coach said, um, and it just ended up working. Uh, it was unbelievable how it ended up working. 
Tate and, and you know, even just if Elton Campbell tips the pass, the game's over. If Tate bobbles the ball, the game's over. So, I mean, everything had to work perfectly to even get the play, the shot up. So it was, and then like, the pass got there, didn't get tipped. Tate caught it cleanly, pivoted and knocked it down. So, I mean, but I think everybody's mindset was like, wow, this is over. Our, our, our run is over. But then when Tate caught it, made the shot, it was like new life was, was, was put back into our bodies. But then the next game, Christian Leitner did the same thing back to us. Yeah, that's the that's the way March goes, huh? Yeah, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Can you just kind of take me through the 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 immediate moments afterwards? Like, what do you remember about the celebration? Is there anything that you remember? Like, what do you remember about being on the court there? Was it all a blur? Like, just kind of take me through what you experienced and like those next couple minutes, just kind of as you were celebrating it. It, it was just you no know, excitement. I mean, people on the court hugging each other. It was like it was like seriously. It felt like we got another chance at, at, at another game and another chance in life because um, we had had the game wrapped up. We fell asleep. We almost paid the price for it. But then obviously once I left, Tate makes a shot. So when we played Duke the next game, we're like, this has to be our game. It has to be our game. I think that's what everybody thought soon, you know, as soon as that game was over because we thought it was our destiny to make the Final Four. Um, like I said, a team that was ranked, supposed to come in last place in the Big East, is now on the verge of going to the uh, Final Four. And I think everybody believed that it was our year to, for the UConn to break through and go, get to the Final Four. Before we continue that interview, I just had to let you guys know that it is that time of year again. We have waited two years for this moment, and it is finally here. March's biggest tournament is back. Gonzaga's getting ready to run the table. Slippers are being fit as we speak. And our partners over at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, are putting our listeners at the center of the action. How? If you bet $4 on an underdog in a select game this week and that underdog wins, you win $256. That's right, $256. Here's how it works. You download the app now. You use the promo code FIELD68 when you sign up. Scroll through the list of select underdogs, bet $4 on one of them to win, and cash $256 when they do. There is no better way for you to put your college hoops knowledge to the test and then to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. It's safe. It's secure. It's reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. I know this because I use them. So remember, the code is FIELD68. That's FIELD68 to turn $4 into $256. For a limited time only, must be 21 years or older. Restrictions apply. Go to DraftKings.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, I've, I've always been curious about this in, in tournament settings. After you make that shot, like what, what is what, – at what point do you say, okay – we have to forget that, and now we're moving on to the next one. We got we got Duke next. At what point do you kind of turn the page and you look forward and kind of put the celebration behind you? Because it feels like that's the kind of thing that's very difficult for um, like a college student to be able to do, right? Like you just had one of the biggest plays you're ever going to have in your college career, and now you got to just forget it and move on to the next. Like that that can't be an easy thing to do. You know, I think for us it was because we've learned a lesson that how fragile the season could be, and plus you're playing Duke the team that's always on top. We're the new dogs uh, trying, to, trying to get respect, earn respect. And we knew playing Duke, we can get respect if we beat them. Or just as long as we played against them, people would more respect us more. But obviously we wanted to win. And I think as soon as that game was over, um, we celebrated that night, had fun, enjoyed each other, enjoyed the film, um, enjoyed dinner. 
But once we started talking about Duke, it's a different level, different animal, because that's a team that you always grow up watching in the Final Four. Coach K has those guys winning every year, ACC championships, uh, the legends that played there. Um, it, it, you're just so revved up to play them because you know they're on top, and that's who you have to beat to get to, to make to become one of those big-time schools. Now, you said you enjoyed the film session. Did you enjoy uh, re-watching where you blew the 19-point lead? <laughs> well, yeah, you know why? Because <laughs> I, I enjoyed one part. When Smitty fell asleep, letting that guy <laughs> shoot a three in the corner, and, and, and we got on Smitty for it. I mean, he, they passed, and Smitty wasn't guarding anybody. We're like, Smitty, who are you covering? And, and you know, it, it's, that's why film is great, though, because you learn your lessons, and, and, and you hope you're held accountable by your teammates and yourself, and, uh, and hopefully that doesn't happen again. And it's always better when that, that happens in a win, right? When you're in a win, in a win, exactly. So you can get on them a little bit more, yes. So um, it, it felt like this was kind of moment when UConn broke through, in a mm -hmm. sense. And I'm just curious, like, you, you grew up in the state of Connecticut. You know that program as well as anyone. It, like, where, where was it before, and where did it go after that you saw? I mean, you experienced it. Yeah, it, it was on the verge of becoming very, very good. Because, I mean, Cliff Robinson was a stud they brought in there. And growing up, Corny Thompson and the legends that I saw play, they were they just played in one of the best conferences in the country. So, I mean, it's hard to get the best players when you're playing against Big East teams like Georgetown, Syracuse, St. John's, in your region, your area, Boston College. But little by little, they got better. The, champ the NIT championship, they were close to being there. And I felt like that year, 1989-90 season, put UConn on the map. And that's when Coach Cowan started recruiting nationally, getting – Donnie Marshall from Seattle, uh, All-American Donnie L. Marshall from Reading, PA, Ryan Fair from Phoenix, Arizona, Kevin Ollie from Los, Los Angeles. UConn became a national uh, name in, in the household, which allowed them to recruit all across, all across the country and internationally, because we had Nadav Hennefeld on the team, who's from Israel, who's led the country in steals that year and was a great player, an older player that we needed in that team to, be, to make us great that year. Uh, so when you were growing up, in Connecticut was, was obviously for my generation, UConn basketball was the biggest thing. Like that was, that was our team. Um, but I'm curious, like, what was it like that for you? Was it still at that same kind of level? Was it just something where people that loved basketball in the state loved it, but it wasn't the same kind of a thing. Like what was it like at that point? It wasn't the excitement that the state didn't rally around them. Like they did that after that 89, 90 season or during that 89, 90 season, you would go by drive by houses, and you, everybody would have UConn flags. Um, everybody talked about UConn Huskies. You saw commercials. Um, it was so much more hype around UConn men's basketball during that year. So it, it changed from when I was growing up watching them play and watching them compete. But that's why you go to college. Um, it's funny because I was going to go to Miami to play baseball because UConn basketball wasn't that big at that time. And to be able to be a part of helping it grow and helping it putting, putting it where it is today, it, it was and that's why you go to college. That's why I went to UConn and played in the Big East at, uh, in Big East basketball. Well, I got to say, there's a lot of UConn fans out there that are very happy that you did not decide to uh, to go to, to Miami to go play baseball. So, Scott, yeah. listen, I appreciate the time. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Rob, thanks for having me. It was a great time. Thank you.